So back in the olden days, uh, when I was in junior high, I went out for track and found out that I enjoyed running and happened to be good enough to make the sprint relay teams. And basically, I went out for track because my football coach told me to and my basketball coach told me to, and uh, it wasn't too bad. Actually, I ran all through uh, junior high and high school. During my college years, I was married, and I was working mostly full-time, and I didn't even think about running. Um, years later, at the end of my seminary days, when I realized I'm not doing too much physically, uh, I started running again to sort of help lose weight and help manage weight gain. And then when I became a pastor in my early 30s, pastors don't always do much physically, and so I tried running uh, somewhat regularly to help uh, try to stay fit and uh, try to manage the weight. When we moved to Wisconsin, um, I was in my later 30s, and I was so busy the first year that I was there that running never even crossed my mind. And then, one day in May, there was a local running event called the Sitnamai Run. It's a 20-mile race from the capital of Madison down to one of the parks in our little town in Stoughton. And our church was on the 18-mile um, route. We had a water station, and, and the church building was right beside the road where the water station was. And I saw my first race from the inside of the lobby looking out the window, watching people run by while I just watched. And that next year, I got motivated, and I decided I'd like to train for this and to try running the 20-mile race. And so I set out to begin learning. One of the first things that I did was I bought a book. I think it was called The Complete Book of Running, because that's how I learned. And I started training and reading, and I, I finished that first race. It was grueling, uh, it was hard, it was difficult, but uh, it was very re rewarding to finish. Um, I continued, I ran 10 more of those 20-mile races. Um, I ran some uh, 10Ks, I ran some 10-mile races, I know some of you can't believe this, and I ran some uh, half marathons, and I ran several marathons. And with all of this, I kept reading books about running. And then I got a subscription to Runner's World so I could read something new every month. And um, I wanted to learn how to train. I wanted to learn uh, training schedules. I wanted to learn um, how to design the week and when to rest, because I didn't know you needed to rest. I wanted to avoid injuries. I wanted to learn about nutrition and sports drinks. I wanted to learn how to recover from an injury. Do you just keep running on it and it's going to get better? Um, and... Then in 2002, I ran my very last uh, half marathon, and in 2003, I stopped running altogether. My knees were in a lot of pain. I went to my sports med doctor, who was a runner, who I was absolutely assured was going to fix this and keep me running, 
He said, you're done. He took about 20 pictures of my knees, showed me this is never going to work again, and I tried, and he was absolutely right. When I stopped running, I stopped reading. I didn't care anymore. I ran, I read to enhance my runner so I would be a better runner. I was interested. I wanted to apply what I was learning. When I stopped running, I didn't even care to read about running. And then my wife came along as a runner, and I had to read a little bit once in a while, but it was way different. You know, there's a big corollary with the Christian life. I find that when I'm walking with Christ, like running, I'm very interested in this book. I care about this book. I want to know more things about God. I want to learn how he uh, worked in the past in the lives of people. I want to learn about when God's people suffered. I want to learn um, how I'm supposed to live. I care. I, I want to know what God wants me to be doing and the character he wants me to develop. It seems to make a big difference. And I find that if I get a little bit lazy or a little bit sloppy, then my desire for God's word can drop. Um, I know that if I want to sharpen my spiritual skills and my spiritual disciplines, I need to be connected with this book. And as I, I know that if I pay attention to this book and seek to apply it to my life, that I can actually understand it better. There's correlation between following Christ and learning more about Him. So today, our focus is going to be on God's Word. I mentioned this last week. If we're going to live in an intentional way in this coming year, 2020, how will God's Word fit into our lives? And I don't care if you do resolutions or not, New Year's resolutions, but I always like to use this time to restart, to refocus, reboot, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, to get back on track. So uh, we're going to do kind of a big survey today. I hope to be going fast, a lot of scripture to cover. You may just want to put down references if you're taking notes. We're going to start with... Uh, Number one, understand the nature of God's Word. Understand the nature of God's Word. When we come to Scripture, what does Scripture say about itself? And it's just going to be, so this is going to be a review for some of you. I find review is good for me. Just once in a while, just to recall, oh yeah, I knew that, but you know what? It's really good to be reminded. Oh, I forgot that. And maybe that will be some of your experience. So this is really basic. We're going to start with 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, in verse 16. And the Apostle Paul writes this around 67 AD, first century, so think a generation after Jesus. And he writes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. He says, all scripture. Now, in the first century, he was primarily referring to the Old Testament because that's mostly what had been written. All of the New Testament had not been written when he wrote this. Just a short time later, Peter will write, and he will call Paul's letters Scripture. And of course, Paul's 
letters, many of them are embraced as the New Testament today. And by way of application, it refers to all of the New Testament. All Scripture is God-breathed, comes out from God. Uh, It is consistent with the very nature of God. Sometimes it's um, translated to be inspired by God. Instead of breathing in, though, it's breathing out. And so it comes out of God, and so it has the nature of God, and it is truthful because God is a God of truth. It's useful, it's practical for everyday living, for teaching, for teaching sound doctrine, for teaching how new Christians should live as well as mature Christians. Um, it's, it's useful for rebuking. Sometimes God's word rebukes. It's sharp. It's like an Old Testament prophet calling people on the carpet and saying, repent. And sometimes uh, it's, it rebukes or it corrects. And the focus there is correcting error, doctrinal error, uh, correctness from deception. Sometimes uh, believers, sometimes God's people get deceived about truth. And um, it's correcting. And it has this ability for training, training in righteousness. Helps us to grow as Christ followers, to live lives on a righteous path. It builds character, wisdom, and understanding. Okay, there we go. 2 Timothy 3.16. Now let's jump to Isaiah 40, verse 8. 8th century B.C., Isaiah is a prophet, and he writes, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. I love that. Things all around me that are temporary in this life, like my body, very temporary, it's changing. Stuff that I buy doesn't last. My home, uh, second law of thermodynamics, it just keeps falling apart. And the word of God endures forever. The promises of God last forever. They don't get changed by popular demand. They don't get changed by the latest cultural opinion. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. The Apostle Peter, 67, 68 AD, similar to Paul's time, he says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So think not just prophet of the Old Testament, but think about spokesman for God, writer of God's Word. Um, For prophecy, God's Word never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The giving of Scripture is the work of Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And God used human authors with human personalities, guided, carried along, superintended by the Holy Spirit. That's what we mean when we talk about inspiration of, of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 4, we're talking about the nature of God's word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the, for the word of God is alive and active. It's spiritually alive. It has life. It gives life. It keeps life, provides life. And 
It's active. It's catalytic. It stirs things up. It messes with us sometimes when we need somebody to get our attention. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even, even the dividing soul and spirit. It's like a spiritual surgeon's scalpel. It, it penetrates into our inner lives and is able to separate out. And here, the, he, he uses the soul and, and, and the spirit, uh, dividing soul and spirit. How do you divide the soul and spirit? I have no clue. But the point is, God's word is so precise. It is able, if there is a need to do that, to penetrate and to do its work. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the of the heart, of our hearts. It, it has authority over us. And uh, it causes us to think and to reflect and to evaluate our thoughts and our attitudes and our behavior. And it can point out our sin. Matthew 5, verse 18. Jesus' words, maybe around 30 AD, he says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, and they have not disappeared yet. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Certainly he was talking about the law of the Old Testament. I think by application would carry it all the way through the book of Revelation. I'm very comfortable with that. But if you just want to leave it at the law of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is loaded about passage, about Jesus' return and claiming the kingdom and establishing his kingdom forever. And he's going to reign on the throne. And that's going to come to pass according to the word of God, according to Jesus. Next, we're going to jump to Psalm 19. Uh, it's kind of a fun passage here. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Uh, sure, it's referring to the Old Testament. Uh, I think by application, it, it refers to all of God's word. And there are several metaphors that are used here interchangeably in Psalm 19, as well as Psalm 119. The law of the Lord is perfect, it's complete, it's total, it's totally accurate, and it has this function of refreshing the soul. It refreshes, it nourishes, it gives uh, relief, it, give, it replenishes the soul. It feel, fills our soul, God's Word. That's the nature of God's Word. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. We can count on them. They're totally reliable. And the fun thing is they make wise the simple. Some of us are kind of simple. And we connect with the true and living God, and he shares things about the universe and about who we are and what's going to happen in the future that most of the world really has no clue about, no matter how intelligent they are. The precepts of the Lord are right, verse 8, and giving joy to the heart. God's word can bring joy to the heart, which overflows. And joy that comes from God's word is going to pretty typically overflow into praise to God, to worship. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God's, God's word gives knowledge. It, it shares, shows reality. It brings light into darkness. 
And verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And that's a reference to God's word too, the fear of the Lord. The idea is it's the proper response to God's word. Um, The fear of the Lord, it's not I'm afraid and scared of the Lord, it's awe of who God is, a proper view of God. And the decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. God's word is solid. His instructions are righteous. Uh, Verse 10, they are more precious than gold. How valuable is God's word to you? How do you show the value of God's word in your life? What What does it play in your daily life? More precious than gold, writer of the psalm says, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. God's word is more precious than gold. I read a man, about a man dying of cancer, and um, he was up in years. He was being interviewed and it, it brought him to a place that he wanted to reflect. And he was asked about the Bible. And he said, when my wife and I got married, we were very young. And my grandfather gave us a wedding gift. And it was a very nice leather-bound Bible. And after he gave us the gift, he kept asking if we were reading the the Bible. And, you know, we thanked him. We sent him a thank you. We were very kind about it. But we just put the, the Bible in the closet, in the box. And his granddad would just keep coming. Have Have you read your Bible yet? You know, it's like, yeah, granddad, thanks, but, you know. And then years later, he got real curious, remembering what his granddad had said. And so he went into the closet, and he opened the box, and he got out the Bible, and he turned to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Guess what? There was a $20 bill. And then he started thumbing through his Bible that hadn't been opened in years, Well, in the book of Exodus, there was a $20 bill. And at the beginning of every book, there was a $20 bill. That's 66 books. And his grandfather was making a point about the value. And it it took him until he was dying of cancer to understand how precious God's word is really is. He goes on, lastly, uh, verse 11, by them your servant is warned. God warns us. And he said, in keeping them there is great reward. Maybe not $20 a chapter, but actually it's better than that. So understand the nature of God's word. Secondly, embrace our need to grow in God's word. Sometimes we just get stuck right there. I understand about God's word, but... You know, I'm really busy. I got a lot of stuff to do. 
I'm discouraged. You and I need to continue to grow in our understanding and our application of God's Word if we are going to be intentional in growing as Christ followers. So we're going to start and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. So Apostle Paul writes, maybe 55 AD, he said, what we've received is not the spirit of the world. Now, we talked about this last week. We talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer and how the Holy Spirit indwells us. And ultimately, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We have received, what we have received is not the spirit of the world. We're different, but, but we've received the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, so that we may understand what God has free, freely given us. God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand, to help us to learn, to help us to put things together, to have discernment. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. He's talking about God's Word right here. Next slide. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words, the Word of God. And then verse 14, just as a reminder, the person without the Spirit, the unbeliever, the non-Christian, does not accept the things from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Sure, a non-believer can understand some things because they can read, but there's a whole lot of spiritual discernment that they cannot get because they do not have the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? It means folks don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. And don't continue to judge them because they don't live like Christians. God is the one who can handle the judging part. Um, okay. So, question. What if we don't embrace our need to grow? What if you don't embrace your need to grow in God's Word? First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul continues. He says, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the, to, uh, the family of God, the church, believers. I could not dress, address you as people who live by the Spirit. He said, I couldn't, you don't walk in the Spirit. You haven't been living a life filled with the Spirit. You've just been going through the motions, he said. And he calls them mere infants in Christ. It's not bad to be an infant when you're a brand new believer. But the goal is not to stay. The goal is to grow. Toddlerhood, elementary age, junior high, high school, the idea is grow up, maturity, adulthood. Paul writes, I gave you milk, not solid food. Now he's talking and he's using a metaphor here for God's word. And it's God's word is spiritual food for the believer. And he says, I gave you milk. You were only up for a baby formula over and over and over. And you're still on baby formula and you know what? We know that Paul started this church over four years earlier. So they'd been believers four years. And he's saying, you ought not be on baby, baby formula any longer. 
for you were not yet ready for it. You had, you had no abilities to understand more and to put things together. Next slide. He said, Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And here's what he's saying. He says, when I look at your life, I can't tell whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. It just looks like you're a non-Christian because you have the same attitudes and behaviors. And it's possible for us to be very stunted in our growth when we ought to get on. And part of that answer is going to be God's word in our life. Hebrews chapter 5 is a similar uh, passage, verses 12 through 14. Different writer, writer of Hebrews, uh, 60s AD, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. So you need to go back over the basics one more time. That's what he's saying. Next slide. You need milk. Same kind of concept that the Apostle Paul used. You need milk, not solid food. You can't even handle table scraps. We put a few little pieces of food on your high chair, and you can't, you just want milk? Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Constant use, it means it's got to come in, it's got to go out, it's got to be applied. And constant use is a training, it's a discipline, it's a daily walk. And as you go, the writer says, you're trained, you become sharper, you become better equipped to discern good and evil. Not everything in this life is black and white. And there's a lot of discernment needed. And sometimes they're little simple things. Even the sensitivity to the spirit versus sensitivity to the demonic. It comes through training in righteousness. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. What if we don't grow? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard. What have they heard? God's word. Who Jesus is. What he has done. What the meaning and implication is to all of the Old Testament. And how they should live the Christian life. And he says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. Sometimes Christians get the idea that they can just, they, they go along, they're growing, doing pretty good, and then they just sort of get sidetracked, and they just, well, they just sort of stop. And they don't have time for their Bible anymore. And they keep going through the motions, but they're really in neutral. They're not advancing they're just in neutral. And the writer of Hebrews says, there is no neutral. You're going to drift. You're just going to slide down the stream. 
might be slow, but you're not going to move forward. You're not going to continue to grow at that rate. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Peter ends this section by, for us, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. He's saying, there's a point where we just need to clean house. We need to stop, reflect, evaluate. Okay, if there's sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us of all unrighteousness. I just need to be honest with God and make a place for God's word to come in. And he says, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk. Now, I've never had a baby. I just watched from a distance. But I know that babies like milk. And they cry when they get uncomfortable for all kinds of reasons. But they like milk. And that's normal. That's good. That's what they required for them to grow and to become healthy. And Peter is saying, Christians, be like newborns when they crave milk. You crave God's word. You develop a taste for God's word. And that's not going to just happen by waking up and, do I feel like it today? No, it's going to happen because I'm intentional and I, this is important, and I make it a practice because it is a discipline, and I do it over and over, and sometimes it's exciting, and sometimes it's just, okay, I did it. But it's beneficial, and it's, it's a discipline. And out of it comes more desire to learn more and to grow more. And I find that out of that, if I stop, I become uncomfortable and I start getting miserable, and I need to get back to God's Word. Okay, there we have it. So what if we don't? Now, last section. Here we go. Commit to personal growth in God's Word. Now is the time for action. Now is the time to be intentional about what you will do with God's Word. So if you want to recenter your spiritual life, it needs to be centered on God's Word. The Bible in America study reported that 62% of people who live in our neighborhoods around our churches would like to know more about the Bible. Another study, uh, another report says that 87% of people in our churches want to grow in their knowledge and understanding of the Bible. Yet, we're reading the Bible less than ever before. We are less literate than ever before. And it's continuing at a faster rate. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, so these are reminders, okay? You know these things. Luke eleven twenty-eight. Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And their primary focus was hearing. They had to hear it and put it into practice. And, and Jesus said, there, there is God's favor on those people who take in the word of God and then seek to follow it, to 
to obey it. Very important principle is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Paul writes, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So this is true of the gospel. You have to hear and understand the gospel message that Jesus died for you and paid the penalty for your sins, understanding that you are a sinner and need Christ's forgiveness and his salvation. You hear that message, and then you believe, and your faith, it gets developed. That same principle applies to all of God's word. We have to hear it. We have to take it in. The Bible has never been more accessible in history than it is today. How many translations do you have on your smartphone? You could read it in almost any known language on earth, on your smartphone. And you only probably need English. Some of you do a little better than that. And there's probably, I don't know, I haven't counted wouldn't surprise me if there were f at least 50 versions of English on the YouVersion app. Um, faith comes from hearing. If, if I stop reading the Bible, it's almost like my faith starts to stop. It's, I begin to lose focus. I begin to lose some confidence. The longer I'm disconnected from God's word, the less I begin to trust God and what he says. But the more I'm connected to God's word, the easier it is to believe the promises and see the promises and see how God is working things out in history. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. This is a kind of insightful. My son, the writer says, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. So here we learn about child training. Here we learn how to pass your faith to your own kids. And it starts in the home. And this is what is a dad in his home training his son. That's what this is an example of. He said, if you accept my words and store up my commands... Now, this is the book of Proverbs, and this is meant to be the wisdom of the book of Proverbs right here. He's saying you need to store up what, what the Proverbs are all about. You need to accept what the Proverbs are all about. Uh, you need to turn your ear toward wisdom. You need to pay attention to this. You need to apply your heart to understanding. And then if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, he's saying you can ask God in prayer for insight and understanding when it comes to understanding God's word. Verse 4, and if you look for it as silver, because silver has value, and you, if you go after it and search for it as hidden treasure, like a million dollars buried in your backyard, and you know it's out there, but you don't know where, what would you do? I wonder if God's word is more valuable than a million dollars buried in your backyard. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And this is the appropriate way to approach God's word, is to search for it. Verse 6, for 
The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Come knowledge and understanding from his mouth. That's God's word. He's speaking. He's communicating. Let me, let me just say one thing, and I hope it's not confusing. I, I know I'm saying more than one thing. God's word was not written to us. It's going to bother you. God's word was not written to us. It was written for us. So some of this book was written to Jewish people who received the law of the Old Testament and God sent prophets to them and called them on the carpet. It was written to them. Some of this book was written to the churches in the book of Acts to the Corinthians, to the Romans, to the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians. It was written to them. They lived in the first century, that, not in the 21st century. They had customs and practices that are hard for us to understand sometimes. But this book was written for us. It's living and active, and it's beyond culture and beyond generation. And our job is to understand it and apply it to our lives. It's written for us. And yes, God speaks in his word to us through his word. Verse 7, he holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Success for the upright. How can one have success as a righteous person? And the answer is by following God's word. That's what Proverbs 2 is about. Okay, the last passage we are going to jump to is just one passage, and it's Psalm 119. Anybody know anything about Psalm 119? 176 verses. So just sit back. You know, that's like five to seven chapters, um, other chapters in the Bible. But it's just loaded, and it has one main topic, and it's God's Word. So let's do a survey of chapter 119, Psalm 119, uh, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. And statutes is a metaphor or a synonym for God's word. There is a blessing. There is favor on God's people who follow his instructions and seek him with all their heart. Here's really a practical one. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. This is David. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? He's talking about moral purity. How do you stay the course? And the answer is, that's the question, the answer is, by living according to your word. He's talking to God. And this is a, mostly a prayer, Psalm 119. The whole thing is a prayer, 176 verses. By living according to your word, you can stay on the path of moral purity. Verse 11, David writes, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David says, I've memorized scripture. I've hidden it in my heart so I can recall it when I find myself in times of temptation. It comes up, it comes forth because I have 
implanted it in my life. Psalm 119, and by the way, we're, you know, we, we do this in some of our growth groups where we memorize scripture just like we did in um, How to Be Rich. Uh, one of our groups, NAV 2.7, really good about scripture memory. Some of you want to be challenged by that. I think we're going to have a growth group for you. Um, Psalm 119, verse 18, the writer says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The law refer to God's reference to God's word. And it's a prayer. You can pray that God will open your eyes when you take time to sit down with this book. He wants to help you. Psalm 119, verses 28 and 29. My soul is weary with sorrow. Anybody here ever been wearied with sorrow? Totally worn out and discouraged and feel totally depleted? You don't even have to raise your hand. And then the prayer, strengthen me according to your word. We can ask God for strength from his word when life is really hard and we're depleted. Verse 29, keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. Teach me your word. We can ask God to keep us from deception, from deceitful ways. Uh, sometimes we can be deceived by doctrine where we hear something and it sounds interesting, but it's slightly off and we go for it. And if we focus on God's word, we can come back and say, no, that's, that's off the mark. Sometimes we get deceived by what's going on in culture and it just looks so attractive and we want it and we don't even try to process it with God's word. But God can keep us from being deceived. Psalm 119, 36 and 37. David writes, Turn my heart toward your statutes and not selfish gain. Now what I like about David's writing in Psalm 119, he is just as human as us. He needs God's help everywhere he turns. He doesn't have it all together, and he's a godly man. He talks about his weakness, and he asks for help. Turn my heart toward your statutes, not my selfish gain, because sometimes I'm just totally selfish. And he asks God to turn his heart back to his word. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things, because sometimes I focus on things that have no significant eternal value, and they become so important to me, and I sometimes forget what's really eternally significant. By the way, two things last forever for sure. That's the souls of human beings and God's word. Not a lot of stuff that we're making payments on. Psalm 119, verses 49 and 50. Remember your words to your servant, because sometimes I forget them, for you have given me hope. God's word can give us hope, and sometimes we forget. And, and God can even remind us, and we can come to God's word and say, we need hope, I need hope today. Help me find it in your word. Verse 50, my comfort in my suffering is this. David suffered. We suffer. It's human experience. We sometimes have this, you know, we've talked about it, entitlement where if I'm a good Christian, I shouldn't suffer. Not true. 
My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. I find comfort in your word in my suffering. It doesn't necessarily take away my suffering, but I find some relief. I find some comfort. I find some refreshment in, su- in suffering through your word. Psalm 119, verse 73. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. David looks to the creator, the one who made him, the one who designed the universe, the one who knows how all things work. And he says, help me understand. Help me understand. Help me to learn from what you've revealed to me. So when you think about it, God hasn't Deuteronomy 29, 29, God hasn't revealed everything there is for us to know. We have a lot of questions. But what he has revealed, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. This is what has been revealed. So it really behooves us to know what's in this book before we worry about all the things that we can't figure out yet. Uh, Psalm 119. Verse 105, last one. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. God's word often shows us the way forward. God gives us just the right information at the right time for us to handle each day to move ahead. Sometimes he gives it for a whole course or a whole vision for the future, but sometimes it's just enough for each day. And you and I need to commit to continue to grow in God's Word. Dr. Rosalind Picard is the founder and director of the Effective Research Group at MIT. She was uh, once convinced that she didn't need God or religion, and so she decided to be an atheist. She dismissed Christ followers as uneducated people. I tried that once. Um, However, she did not think that for herself as an educated person, she could really reject the Bible without reading it for herself. So she could reject it. And so she started reading it. And she says... um, She expected the miracles to be phony. She expected a poorly organized work of literature with little relevance to life. And when she was reading the book of Proverbs, to her surprise, she found that it was full of wisdom. She said she had to pause while reading the book and think about them because there were wisdom in the Proverbs. So she read through the Bible twice. Have you read through the Bible twice? Some of you have read through it many times. And then she just put it aside for some time, for a few years. And then a friend invited her to go to church with, uh, with her on, that, on a particular Sunday. And she remembered that while she was there, she heard the question, who is the Lord of your life? And she, uh, she had to stop and think. And, and, and here's what she said. She said, I was intrigued 
I was the captain of my ship, but it was possible that God would actually be willing to lead me? After praying, Jesus Christ, I ask you to be Lord of my life, my world changed dramatically. As if a flat, black and white existence suddenly turned full color and three-dimensional. But I lost nothing of my urge to seek new knowledge. In fact, I felt emboldened to ask even tougher questions about how the world works. Today, she writes, I work closely with people whose lives are filled with medical struggles. I do not have adequate answers to explain all their suffering. But I know there is a God of of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into relationship with all who confess their sins and call upon his name. And then she writes, I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today I walk with joy alongside the most amazing companion who anyone could ask for, Jesus, filled with desire to keep learning and exploring. The power of God's word to change people's lives and enable us to continue to grow. So, question for us as we come to the end is, do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to grow in God's word this coming year? What is your plan? Consider a reading plan. Um, I had my quiet time this morning at home with my phone on version. I'm currently doing the five-day reading plan that we offered at the bridge, and I read it on my phone. Sometimes I like to do my quiet time on the phone, and I like a background, back background with white letters. That's just how I like it. And if you know about version, there's a lot of information available to learn about the Bible if you want to, even videos. That's just a, a good option. Now, the great thing about version is you can sit anywhere with your phone, anywhere, and look cool like you're checking your social media and read the Bible. You know, because you're an important person. And you, you can hold your phone and read it. But it's amazing how accessible God's Word is. By the way, I don't read this Bible. This is my Sunday Bible. I have one just for Sunday. Actually, it's a Bible that I purchased kind of for formal occasions because on formal occasions, I want a Bible that looks good. I do not carry this in my backpack. I have a Bible I carry in my backpack, and it has dog-eared pages, and it's all wrinkled up, and it gets squashed. And I use that for sermon prep. And for my quiet time, sometimes I read it on an iPad, and sometimes I read it on a phone. Then sometimes I stop reading the on my phone, and I go back to my wrinkled-up Bible. I just like changes sometimes. So consider a plan. What works for you? Use the five-day reading plan. You can still find it. Um, actually, the email that went out Friday has a place where you can find that reading plan if you lost yours. 
And I think there are some on the table in the lobby. Uh, If you've never read the Bible before and you're brand new, what I would encourage you to do, get a Bible open, go to the table of contents and find the book of John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's that book. And it's about the life of Jesus. That's a great place to start and read it like a story. And I always tell people when you read the Bible, don't worry about what you don't understand. Worry about what you do understand. And yes, you can ask all kinds of questions. So if you're new to the Bible, start in the Gospel of John. And if you have questions, come up and ask me next week. Tell me how it's going. Um, So, God has spoken. God has spoken to us through this book. And if we're going to have a relationship with God, we need to engage God and we need to listen, not just tell him our problems and tell him what we want, but we need to listen to his advice, to his instructions, to his wisdom. And we need to Put it into practice. Okay, let's, let's stand and let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful that you have given us your word, that you have spoken to us, and that it's available. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that you've been gracious but we're also very privileged to be considered children of God and to be given a new nature and to be born of God and have the Holy Spirit in us who can help us and guide us into the truth. I pray as Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, that you would sanctify us in truth and that your word is truth that you would form us to the image of your son Jesus through your word, that you would set us apart um, as Christ followers to honor you. Help us um, as we seek to be intentional with your word. Whatever those next steps are going to be for us, help us to move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.